Today on the After the Timeout podcast, we are joined by Division Three Women's National Champion Head Coach Brian Morehouse. Coach Morehouse is one of the most successful coaches in NCAA history at any level, men's or women, and also has the unique experience of being at the same school and same program for his entire career. As always, thanks for listening to the After the Timeout podcast. All right, Coach. So thank you again for joining us. We are joined by the national champion today, Brian Morehouse of Hope. Uh, Coach, we we wanted to start off with a little bit about your dad and and your kind of upbringing coaching. Your dad was a longtime coach himself at the high school level. Um, And, you know, we wanted to start with your kind of journey. When did you really realize you wanted to be a coach? You know, what kind of made you decide that? And then maybe what's something you've learned from your dad um, that you've taken into coaching? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think from a very young age, I had um, just this incredible respect for coaches and the role models that they were. And um, I just think that they just had these bigger than life personalities in my mind with their influence that they had around um, the women and men that they coached. And I just thought that was, uh, I just thought that was really cool. Um, And when did I start to think I wanted to be coaching? Probably, um, you know, I I watched my dad and coach Eckert um, and and some hack Ramsire was my golf coach who I had great. Yeah. His name was really hack Ramsire. That was his real name. Um, And I just, I saw the influence that they had on my life and coach Eckert was my high school varsity coach. My dad was also one of my varsity coaches and um, you know, you just, you just saw it. And, I think in about 10th grade, uh, I started realizing like I wasn't going to the NBA. And as much as I thought I wanted to go to the NBA, um, I wasn't going to be, you know, Stockton, Magic, um, Paxson, Skiles. Um, you know, I was 5'10. I was a good high school basketball player, but I wasn't even the best player on my own team. That was my one of my best friends, Trent Graham. And so, um, you know, I, I started to think about what else is there to do. Um, and, and, you know, I thought I would just go into business and then I kind of pivoted, um, in my s- s- junior year in college to go from a business degree, um, to a teaching degree. And I think that's really when I said, no, I'm all in on this, but, uh, I knew I wanted to coach even when I was in high school, I just didn't know how I would go about getting there. When I was in college, um, I, I had the opportunity to coach with Dr. Glenn Van Weeren, who was a Hall of Fame coach at Hope College, men's coach. And he invited me to join him. Um, even, even as a freshman, I was able to be a student assistant for him. And I learned a ton from him. But, uh, you know, I kind of had this idea that I would go after I was done. Ben Braun had a, a, a graduate assistant job available at Eastern Michigan. I thought I might be able to get that because Coach Ben Warren knew him. Um, You know, we had really good teams when I was with the men's team, going to the final fours and everything. So that certainly opened up some doors for me, Uh, got me some high school offers. But um, unbeknownst to me, Coach Ben Warren gave my resume to somebody on campus and said, I think this guy would be really good as a recruiter for Hope College, just as a general recruiter. Um, They called me in for an interview. My brother went into a diabetic coma the night before, and um, we weren't sure if he was going to make it. He came out of it in that morning, so I got in my car and I drove to the interview. 
And I just said, I am not prepared one bit for this interview. I'm like, God, if I'm supposed to get this, you're going to find the right words for me to say. And, um, and I have no recollection of what happened in that interview. None. I got in my car. I drove home. My mom asked how it went. I go, I have no idea. They called me the next day, offered me the job. Um, coach Van Weeren asked if I would continue on as his assistant coach um, in my role now at the college. Uh, did that for four years. The next thing you know, um, the women's coach was let go. Uh, they offered me the job. I said no. They offered it to me again. I said no. Um, they offered it to me a third time. I said no. Um, this is all in the span of three days. And um, the, the captain of the women's team, her name was Lisa Timmer. And she got married a couple years later and she became Lisa Timmer Schoonveld. Her boyfriend at the time was my student assistant coach. And she came into my office and she said, Tim says that you're an amazing coach, you connect with people, you get the most out of them, you hold them accountable. Um, and I just think that you should think about being the coach. And I didn't tell her I'd already said no to it a couple of times. And I went home and talked it over with my wife who was a part of the national championship program in 1990. Um, and she said, I don't know how many times the doors got to open before you walk through it. So I walked back in the next day, accepted the job. 26 years later, Lisa Timmer, her boyfriend is now the athletic director at Hope. And their daughter is now the division three player of the year and a national champion. Well, I, I think uh, things were a little bit meant to be there. Um, the, a quick follow-up is I'm just interested, you know, what was your thoughts on why you didn't want it originally? Dude, I was 25 years old. I had just gotten married. I, I didn't even know how to talk to my wife, much less 15 women on a basketball team. And I didn't know that I was more prepared than what I thought I was. Um, but at that time, it was just really intimidating to think I'm going to be 26 years old. And and a, and a college basketball coach. Um, through Coach Van Weeren, I had a lot more experience than what I thought. You know, I think you all, I, I tend to undersell myself. And um, I, I think I knew a lot more than I thought I did at that time. And I was able to surround myself with some really good coaches. Um, Wayne Tannis and Michelle Schoon was my, Michelle was my first assistant. Um, and uh, she played on the 1990 national championship team and was a good friend of mine in high in college we became good friends and she actually married one of my very best friends jr from my hometown that's that's an awesome story i don't know that might be one of the best best to start out Agreed. we've had i guess it just proves you probably should listen to your significant other more often right they're usually, they're usually right. every single time she has not <laughs> been wrong yet all right so you just mentioned you're going to yourself we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna sell you here the first part uh just kind of some background then i got a couple questions um he ain't gonna like the selling in the meeting. no he's not gonna like it but that's that's okay you're you're 659 and 91 87 winning percentage um you reached 600 wins faster than any coach at any level men or women in ncaa history um 
I believe it's the same total as Kim Mulkey wins this year. Um, but that's that's a long that's a long time anywhere, right? Especially when we see today, coaches are going here and there. Um, what do you think some of the keys to your sustained success was and, and are? And and how did you, I guess, in the beginning, start building the program to sustain that success? And how have you continued it for such a long period of time? Yeah, we better take those one at a time, right? Um, I think sustained excellence uh, has been because I think I've been really consistent in who I am. Um, you know, I, I haven't tried to change. Um, I haven't thought that I'm more important than anybody else in my basketball program. Um, you know, I think that my student assistant coaches are every bit the same influence in our basketball program as I do. And that's why we circle up every day instead of having me address the team with me being front and center. Everything we do is in circles, right? Everything. So there's no person in that circle that's more important than anybody else. And, and I really have believed that um, throughout all 26 years of being the head coach. Um, how have we been able to sustain it? I think it has to do with a consistent approach every single day, right? Um, we talk about a win everything approach uh, that goes into every single day in every facet of your life. Win everything means not like try to win the game. It means like when you wake up in the morning, are you going to do everything that you do that day with being the best at that particular task? So like right now, like if I'm looking at my phone and I'm distracted and everything, like I'm not giving you my best. If I am in the middle of a conversation with one of our 93 year old fans and I've got four recruits over to the side that want to talk to me, like that woman deserves my full attention at that moment. Um, when we get on uh, the bus, you know, you will see every one of our players say, hey, Johnny, how you doing? You know, you ready for a good trip? Um, you know, all that kind of stuff is super important to us. Um, you know, just when we go out to eat, you know, you'll see our players figure out what the waitress's name is. And so they can address her by her first name and just instead of saying, hey, you know, I need more water. Um, you know, it goes into like um, giving your best to the strength coach when you walk in there and not just trying to get through that workout, but like trying to be elite in that workout. I think every single encounter that you have every single day of your life is a win everything moment. And there is no neutral when it comes to that. You either win it or you lose it. And you become, a ha uh, you become a series of the habits, I think, that you build up every single day through every single encounter that you have. So our kids will sit in the front three rows, right, of the classroom. Like the easy thing to do is sit in the back, but they'll sit in the front three rows. They'll be engaged. And I just think that we are what we do continually. And for me, that's one of the, I think my strengths is that I'm consistent. I show up every day. I've got a win everything mindset. And I'm able to be really, really good in the present, which allows us to be good, sustained. So you, you mentioned the one example about sitting in the first three rows, but, and that's, that's, I mean, that's so awesome. I think it's just such a different perspective on a lot of times we get distracted by the winning and the, the games and the X's and O's, but what are some of the other things you do? Uh, you know, cause I, I feel like that's probably something that kids have to learn as well, right? So you probably have some of your older kids leading by example, but what are some of the things you do, you know, besides sitting in the first three rows, 
to, yeah. to help your kids kind of get to that mindset and, and, and develop that type of behavior on a daily basis. Right. Right. Great question. So, um, so we have what we call win everything pyramid, right? And it's definitely not the John Wooden pyramid, um, but it has some of the, some characteristics, like our base is very, very important to us on the pyramid, like the foundation, the base. So on that, you know, you'll see stuff like, um, you know, we watch more film, um, you know, we keep our spaces cleaned up, um, you know, we, uh, we get our individual workouts in uh, without coaches. Um, we, um, you know, we communicate at a high level with our teammates. Um, you know, we spend time with our professors outside of the classroom um, and show our interest in that class. Um, gosh, there's a, I mean, there's a million, there's like 70 of these things at the base of this pyramid that we think are super important. Um, see, I'm smart enough that I can bring this thing up right here and look at it because it's on right on the front of my, um, we uh, take athletic training room seriously. Uh, do not show other team that you are tired. Lock into the scouting report. Um, be comfortable, be comfortable with confrontation. Uh, well done is better than well said. Um, competition every day, never settle. Um, be grateful for the trainer, be grateful for the DeVos Fieldhouse. Um, you know, it's a, it's a lot of stuff like that, that we think builds up then into um, sort of that next level of stuff that we, um, and we redo this every single year. So for every team, we have a unique pyramid that we think is important. And it always ends at the very top with a national championship. And then one level before that is a tile that says 64, 32, 16, eight, four, you know, for the round of, you know, getting into the tournament, winning games and moving on. Um, and then below that, uh, you know, we have some season long goals like undefeated in the league, uh, win our regular season tournament championship, win the MIAA tournament, um, you know, win our non-league uh, tournaments. Uh, and then below that, we have some more like game type goals, which are 75 for this year, it was 75% free throws, take four charge attempts a game, be plus 11 on the boards, um, 1.2 assist to turnover ratio. Um, we do a lot with points per possession. Um, I don't know if you guys do a lot of that high school level, but like we wanna be 0.9 points per possession on offense. We wanna hold the other team to 0.6 or less and defensive points per possession. So we give them some tangible goals, uh, some things that we can check in on every single game. We start at the very bottom of the pyramid with some broader concepts that drill down into some really specific things. And then we try to end with a championship. All right, so I wanna, I wanna dive a little bit deeper here then. Um, I like that bottom of the pyramid because it's just all things you can control, right? It's within your control. A lot of times in every game, day. You can't. They're daily habits, really. Right. So you mentioned that you, your players take ownership in it and they come up with those things every year. What does that process look like for you as a team when you, you know, start start your season? It does, it's, does it start in, in the summer? They start building those ideas? You know, because obviously at the D3 level, you're limited on contact time as, as well. So what does that process look like for you as a team 
and individual players. Yeah. Um, you know, that's something that is constantly being talked about uh, year round, but where we really start to drill down and get into the specifics of it are the uh, probably about one week into practice, right? So October 20th ish, um, we will take a team trip to my parents' house. My dad, everybody calls him Biggie, right? Because you can't have two coach more houses. So they call him Biggie. That's a long, long time ago that that name was given to him, but he likes onesies, the biggie fries, like he's the biggie, he's the biggest and the baddest of the Morehouses, everybody knows that, um, and so they, our team just started calling him Biggie, so we go Biggie's weekend, and we go up there, and that's where all of this stuff evolves on that particular weekend, where every team is unique, and they're coming up with all these um, habits, all these goals, and all these things that they want to stand for on that particular team. Coach, you're already on the, the nicknames list. We have, what was it, Hack, right? And we have, uh, well, Hack was his name. We, we got some good, uh, we got some good uh, old school and names and nicknames. I like it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it, interesting. Uh, I kind of want to tweak it to maybe the, the loss side of things. So obviously your team was 32 and one this year. Um, they had had 62 straight wins in a row, but then you guys did, you know, have a loss. And I'm always curious from coaches that do have, you know, those programs with sustained winning, you know, what did that loss teach you guys as a group? What did you take from it maybe as a staff to help prepare the team going forward? Well, I can tell you, I remember more about that loss than I do always all of our wins combined on different plays. Like I can unpack every single possession of that game. Um, you know, I, I, I think it taught us, um, you know, we took away from that uh, a couple big things. First of all, um, and everybody uses different terminology, right? But for us, we, we thought we were, we needed to do a better job of leveraging drives. Um, and and in, in our terminology, that means like drive to open up someone's hips instead of just driving around people, right? And so we really spent a ton of time leveraging drives um, and practicing that. We spent a lot of time in our um, ball screen rotations and just, um, we had made some adjustments for that game and they were semi-disasters on like two of the tweaks that we made defensively. Um, and we thought it really hurt us. And so we simplified some of our uh, coverages on rotations and ball screens and things like that. And I think the simplification really helped us. Those would probably be the two biggest things I took away from that particular game. And we just shot the ball horribly that game. And credit to them, they're a very good defensive team. But we missed like 12 free throws. Um, we missed layups. Um, we missed open threes. And again, that's partly because of the pressure that they put on us. I'm not just saying that we played bad. They made us play bad. But I think it, we found different ways that we could improve coming off that so that we would be a little bit better. All right. So we'll kind of back uh, to, when, to when you first started. Uh, kind of a two-part question here. So I'll go with the first part here. Um, what are some of the biggest changes you've seen in the women's game of basketball and women's sports from when you started until now? Um, players are much more highly trained, 
you know, they, they come in as a, a more finished product. Um, the amount of players that do skill development training and conditioning is incredibly high. Um, the amount of players that are playing AAU basketball now versus when I first took over is like, I bet you it was 10% back then. I bet you it's 90% now, right? Ironically, two of our best players did not play um, AAU. The Division Three Player of the Year and our other All-American did not play high, high school AAU. So it's not the end-all be-all for being a great player. Um, uh, I think the other part would just be like the level of respect for women's athletics. Um, I think we've certainly seen it in the last year where uh, it was exposed on just the, the how, how wrong and how disproportionate it was for the men's game versus the women's game. Um, it was exposed through social media. And then I think that just in this last year, there's been a lot more intentionality about respecting women's athletics in general, but that's also just grown in general since I took over in 1996. I mean, I still remember we're building the $25 million field house. We were playing at that time in our rec building with silver pullout bleachers, no locker room for the women's team, none. Um, and um, I remember people in our community and they were well-meaning very well-meaning, but they're like, are you guys going to go play in the new building? Are you going to keep playing here? I was like, oh, we're, we're going to go play in the new building. And they're like, well, don't you think that'll be weird? Because, you know, it'll be pretty empty, won't it? And I said, well, you know, little the field of dreams thing, you know, build it and they will come. And, you know, we were already, we only sat like 800 people in our gym at that time. And when I took over, very first game I coached, I looked at Michelle Schoon and I looked over and I looked up at the stands and I'm coming from our men who are the big thing in town. I don't know if you follow our men at all, but like they've led the nation in attendance for almost 30 years in a row now. Okay. Um, and I, I look around and I'm like, late arriving crowd. And she goes, Mo, they're not coming. And I go, why not? And she goes, no respect. They don't, they don't think we play a very good brand of basketball. And I said, okay, goal number one, change people's perception. Goal number two, make our athletic directors buy new bleachers because we have that many people that want to come. Goal number three, make this the thing, the place that people want to be to watch a great brand of basketball. In year number two, we bought new bleachers. By... 2005, nine years into it, we moved into a new arena with our men, 3,500 seat arena. And I will tell you that the weekend of the Elite Eight and the Sweet 16, we had 6,500 people at our games that weekend. So set our goals, build a good brand of basketball, make it exciting, be the highest scoring team in the nation or one of the highest scoring, play, play a fun style of basketball. People come and watch, especially if you win on the women's side. So I want to continue on that that beginning. Your first season, you were you're 15 and 12, um, and you kind of had said you weren't sure if you really knew what you were doing, right? Like you you had that doubt. Um, what did you learn during that first season that you feel helped you today? Yeah, rule number one: 
don't inherit a schedule from the previous coach with six division two teams on it. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a good rule. That's a good rule to start with. Um, you know, I think the, the second thing I would say I learned as I went through that year was, you know, I wondered how it was going to be making the change over from the men's side to the women. You know, how do you coach? What kind of a, you know, what do you emphasize? Um, what I realized was that the women in our program, they wanted to be coached up. They, they wanted to be held accountable. They wanted to be pushed. And I think a lot of guys that get into coaching women um, don't always understand that. They think it's different, right? And, and there are subtle differences. Like that's not, I mean, we're not dunking other, unless you're at Stanford. Um, but um, like these women, like all they wanted to do was be respected and coached and held accountable. And I think that the respected part comes before all the other stuff, right? So if they knew that I cared for them on a deep level, that I loved them, that I wanted what was best for them, that this wasn't about me, that this was about them, then it allowed me to hold them accountable. Then it allowed me to push them to places that they didn't think that they could go. And then we could win. I can still remember the game that we won that secured um, a plus 500. I mean, I, I went home with my wife, man, we celebrated. I'm like, we are going to be over 500. Like that was a big deal. Right. And then the next year we come back and, you know, we graduated some really, actually a couple of really good players that year and came back for year two. And it was hard, you know, but we're getting better and better and better. And, um, you know, I just learned, like, I knew that I wanted to be the hammer, not the nail. That was the other thing is I didn't want to come out and play some zone defense. Um, I wanted to get up into people. I wanted to pressure, whether it was in a trapping zone or in a man to man, I wanted to get up into people. I wanted to deny passes. I wanted to like get after people and on offense, I want to play fast, right? I wanted to, I want to play a lot of people, you know, um, I've always played a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people like 10 every game. And, you know, this year we had like, actually, we were so good that we had actually hockey line subs. We were five for five, which is crazy. Right. Until we had an ACL injury, but uh, like we were literally, we'd have our starters and then we would like sub a group and they called them locally. They called them the chaos crew. And like, they were just these hyper athletic into you kids who just came bouncing off the bench with like this energy and the chaos crew would come in after our starters got going for three minutes, four minutes and soften people up. And they would just like, it was like this great one, two punch. And I've always kind of believed in that is playing a lot of people, keeping people fresh and really playing at a high tempo. All right. Well, now you're speaking my language because I do something similar in the high school level. I played pretty much 11 kids throughout the year. So my my and I was listening to another podcast about somebody talking about pressuring and running. And we've had uh, who was the guy we had on Todd that we love to quote that said, choose the way you die. Um So, oh, the coach from Green. Yeah. So well, that's a so, that's a way to die. Um, yeah. That's a whole yeah. different story. Wait. So, but in the, in the point though, is 
Um, you know, I'm always curious when you play a lot of people as I do, I'm always trying to get better conditioning um, and, and, you know, obviously be the most conditioned. So to play fast, to pressure people, you know, how much time do you guys spend on conditioning preseason? Do you give them off-season conditioning goals, those kind of things? Um, well, this is the best condition team I've ever had this year. And it's because I took a lot of it out of my hands and I put it into our medical staff who have a better idea of what they're doing. Um, we actually wore heart rate monitors all season long. Um, Polar tech heart rate monitors. Uh, there'll be a really fascinating research study done by our exercise science department that's coming out in the next few weeks. So we actually had a great idea of load management, not to use an NBA term, but like we had, we understood load management and everything. Um, we knew exactly where our kids were. We would run them on an unweighted treadmill um, on off days. Hold on just a second. I got to let my dog out. So, I mean, we spend a lot of time on that coach and um, they're like, we, we took it to more of a scientific level the last couple of years. And we got out of the, like what I call the emotional level, like get on the line, we're running, you know, we're not in good shape. Um, I mean, we took into account, like, did they have exams? How much sleep did they get? Like we took into account everything and it really helped us this year. Um, now that's harder to do at the high school level. <clears throat> I understand that. But I do think like we play our way into shape. We don't run our way into shape. We very seldom run sprints. We just don't. And um, I think that because we practice at a really high tempo, we don't take water breaks during practice. We've got enough kids like when you're out, that's your water break. And we don't shoot free throws in practice. So everything is and our shooting drills are high tempo. Like they are not just like, hey, we're going to get a few shots up right now. Let's see if we can't knock down threes. They're all like game type shooting drills. Uh, we spend time in transition and our defense is very, very difficult. And we spend at least 25 minutes in a row on that every single day in practice. And that'll like we play our way into shape. I like it. Um... So just an interesting follow-up. You know, you've obviously been in the Division three level for a long time, 30, 30 or so years. I, I myself coached D3 for a little bit. But, you know, have you ever thought in your own mind, you know, like I, I've done Division three. have you ever thought like I, I want to try Division two? I want to try Division one, Or have you found like Division three is the place for you? Um, I'm not looking to leave. I'll start with that. Um, I'm in a really good place. We've led the nation in attendance the last, since 2006. Um, you know, we're a big deal in town here. Uh, it's kind of nice to, to matter, but um, I, I'm not saying I wouldn't ever leave. I mean, one of my best friends, Scott Ruick at Oregon State, um, and one of my other really good friends um, is Aaron Roussel. He's at Rochester, uh, I'm sorry, Richmond now. Um, and uh, the guy at Scranton, uh, recently took the Bucknell job. Um, there's a lot of great stories about people going from D3 and being highly successful at Division One. Um, the other part is they have to call. I mean, <laughs> I'm not like I'm not looking to leave, but like if if uh, Division One called me up or Division Two called me up, I would listen. But I'm not leaving for a situation that isn't good, and you know. There's a lot of really bad jobs in Division Two and Division One. Jobs that I don't care if um, you know. I don't care if Corey Close. Um, I, I don't. I, I don't care 
if um, the LSU coach takes it or Gino Ariema, they go into those places. They're not winning. I mean, we all know there's jobs that you're not winning at, right? Um, but if I if if a, if a good school called me up and wanted to make a realistic, you know, offer and have a conversation, I would listen. But again, like I'm not one of these guys that's got my agent out there, you know, patrolling for like the next job. Um, I've never been about money. I, I I'm, I'm not about money. Um, I, I just I refuse to chase that. I think that's a good outlook. So, uh, you know, before we start recording here, you mentioned that you and, and your program are, are a big part of the Special Olympics, and that's a big part of what you do. Yeah. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about, you know, the Special Olympics organization, yeah. where you are, and kind of your ties to it, and, and what you guys do with Special Olympics? Yeah, a couple, I mean, in a couple different ways. Um, you know, first of all, I think you, you are what you put in front of your kids, right? So um, when I was in college, right, there was, a, there was an assistant coach here. His name was Russ DeVette. And um, he got me involved with Special Olympics, the Ottawa Area Hustlers, right? So we're in Ottawa County, Ottawa Area Hustlers. There's these group of guys that play. Um, and he got me going and kind of helping out with them on the side. I'm like, man, I don't have time for this you know, I don't have time for this. You know, I'm a busy college student. You know, I'm coaching. I'm trying, I'm got, I get, my grades were super important to me. Like, I don't have time for this. But then I kind of got, I got sucked in in a good way. Like, I went and I loved it, right? And I loved it, so I kept going back and I kept going back. When I took over the women's program, I said, you know what, that's something I want to do with my team. And, you know, they're always like, oh, I got to study for my organic chemistry. I got to study for my engineering exam. You know, like, oh gosh, I don't have time. So I just get them to come one time and then it becomes like the thing that they want to do. So every year we host a um, skills and drills camp, right? That's one night. Another night we hold this huge tournament with teams from all over the counties around us that come in and we referee and we score them. We have dance offs and like our kids just make it like it's the place to be for all these teams. Right. Um, so for me, like that just is something I have a real heart for. It's not because I have a special needs daughter or son or anything like that. It's just like, I just think it's an underserved population. And if we can make them feel like rock stars, like it's, it's a great thing. Now, what has evolved out of that is like, they come to all of our games. And so like, we're their biggest fans and now they're our biggest fans. And where you have to be careful is, I mean, you guys haven't been to Holland before, but like, if you're walking down Main Street, like you, you better not see Courtney on the other side of the road. Cause if she spots you, like she's going to start yelling and screaming and coming after you. Right. Um, and, you know, hopefully her parents are holding on to her so that she doesn't come across the, um, So, uh, you know, so we, that's been always a really important factor to me. The other thing uh, that happened, um, gosh, it must have been, I'm going to say 15 years ago now. Um, so my best friend since first grade, his name's Tony Compton. Okay. Uh, it is, um, I want to say it's either Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve. I can't remember which. Um, and he calls me up. And my best friend since first grade also moved in next to me 
in Holland. Like we grew up 65 miles north of here. So somehow we both end up in the same community. Like he moves in next door. He calls me and he says, hey, Mo, like taking Jed to the emergency room right now. Something's going on. Like his balance is off. I'm like, okay, like whatever. I mean, we're all hypersensitive about our kids. Well, they rush him in an ambulance to um, Spectrum uh, DeVos Children's Hospital, which is 35 minutes away from us. Um, he got a brain tumor they find that night. Brain cancer, emergency surgery, have to go in, have to take care of it, right? Take it out. Um, he's in the hospital with him for 11 months in a row. He sleeps in his hospital room, okay? Um, and like, this is tough stuff, man. I, I walk up onto that floor and I mean, I, I just, I cannot even explain to you what it is like to be on the DeVos children's floor, on their cancer floor, walking up and down that hallway every week, going to see Jed um, and, you know, just wondering if he's going to get out. Okay. He gets out. He's in a hospital bed in this house. He's next door. Eventually they get him PT, OT. Like he can like use a, it gets to a point where he can like use a walker. Okay. Um, so Tony and I, and I just saw a text message pop up. I know I'm supposed to be present, but it just came from Tony to Eric and I, my other best friend. He's like, where's our baseball trip this summer? We, every summer we go on a baseball trip. We got five places left to go, five stadiums, right? So we're at the Pirates game. And up on the Jumbotron, they're talking about this thing called America League. Like, and they're showing these pictures of these kids on, in gurneys and, um, and, and um, walkers and wheelchairs. And they're playing baseball on this field specially made for them. I'm looking at Tony. He's looking at me. And he just starts crying. And he's like, I'm doing that for my kid. And I was like, you know, I pat him on the back. I'm like, yeah, 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 you can do it. Guy builds a $1.3 million facility for West Michigan so their kids can play baseball. And every year our team goes and serves at that one or two times a year where we are the buddies of all these kids at this Miracle League. And like we're protecting them when they're hitting the ball, they're running the bases, like we're their buddies. And, you know, that's my other thing. Like I have just have a heart for that. But like the Special Olympics came first, and now this is just another thing that we get to do. And it's like the best Saturday of our year when we get to go serve with these kids. All right. So quick follow up before we go back to basketball, only because you said you've been to stadiums and I only have a few left myself. So now I'm curious, what are the five that you have left? West Coast, baby. Yep. I got to go Seattle, San Francisco, Oakland, Angels, Dodgers. Yep, I have some some West Coast left, uh, and then the two Floridas left. Uh, but I've done. All I have the two Floridas left too, but I don't really count them because I don't really count the Rays of the stadium, and I keep waiting for them to move to Montreal. So I think if I slow play this long enough, I can actually not have to go to see and, the Rays. And then, I think that's probably a good strategy. I like that strategy. Then, really quick, of all the ones you've been to, what is your favorite? Ooh, um, old Tiger Stadium. Okay. Old Tiger Stadium. Um, I am a sucker for the old stadium. So I'll go Fenway Wrigley. Um, I just, I love those. Uh, Camden Yards mm -hmm. special. Agreed. Um, 
now I, I segment them into the new and the old, right? Yep. Um, PNC yes. in Pittsburgh, elite level. The new Minnesota stadium, fantastic. is yep. fantastic. Um, love the new Rangers stadium mm-hmm. is really well done. Um, I'm probably forgetting a couple. Uh, Cincy is cool because it's right on the riverfront. I really like it. So I don't know. Those are some of my highlights. I don't love some of them that are built outside the city. It's like the Phillies have a good stadium, but I want it in Philly. Yes. It's in um, Phil. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I don't hate on Milwaukee, but it's weird, man. Yeah. It's like weird location, you know? I, so. I, I was hoping you would say PNC because I've been to dozens of minor league, major league. Uh, and, and again, I, I like some of the older ones as well. Old Yankee or Camden, all those, but PNC, there's just something special about the view, the river, all of it, the bridge. Can I just tell you that as much as I love that one, that has continued to rocket up the list after my last weekend winning a national championship in Pittsburgh. Um, I, I have a special place in my heart for that town right now. I'm sure you do. Um, so just getting back into the basketball, you know, we kind of hit on X's and O's and I, I wanted to just follow up about X's and O's with you. Um, you know, we kind of, in our very first episode ever, we talked to Ryan McCarty from Alaska Anchorage and he kind of talked mm-hmm. about recruiting athletes and improving their basketball skills. So for you, when you go out to recruit, obviously on the D3 level, it's a little bit different um, to recruit for those that, that don't know about D3 recruiting, but are you looking for people that fit your X's and O's? Are you looking for more athletes and then trying to plug them into that? Kind of just take me through how you tie your X's and O's to your recruitment. Yeah. Well, first of all, McCarty is like, that guy is amazing. He is, he is an amazing coach. I think it's a combination uh, John, I, I really do. Um, we're looking for like the best skill we can possibly get. Um, but you also have to be a certain level of athlete to play in our program. Um, I, I get emails all the time and I know it's going to be a bad email when it starts off with, I think I've got a player that can play at your level. Have you watched us play? Because <laughs> I got three kids on my team that could play D one and mm-hmm. it wouldn't be hard for them and be impact players. Um, so, you know, be careful when you send those emails coaches, because I mean, watch us play a little bit before you do, but we have to have like, we're going to be an athletic up and down the floor kind of team. Right. So they've got to be athletic enough. Um, I have really, really, really good assistant coaches. Um, people say, you know, you're a really good coach. I am a really good gatherer of expertise is what I am. Um, Kyle Lurvey coached, um, with uh with Alabama's coach um on the men's side uh he's one of the belt Kyle's one of the best skill development guys I've ever been around um got a lot of his stuff uh from the Bama boys and Kyle was a part of developing a lot of their skill skill development um Courtney Cust is one of the best coaches in the United States uh she's top 30 under 30 coach um and Cully's my um my defensive guy uh, he, he runs our whole defense. And then I just brought a guy on who does a lot of stuff with G league guys, um, Austin Randall, and he's got this elite level skill development stuff. So we're not afraid to look at a kid and go that sh- their shot is broke. 
but we can fix it. That kid is good at this, but they have no handles, but we can fix it. And so like, if they've got some holes in their game, we truly believe in our skill development program that we can take a kid that's good and make them great if they buy in. So this is, before we get into our last two segments, this is just a, maybe more of a question about, you know, maybe about yourself and, you know, maybe some, some ideas for other coaches out there, obviously after all this time, national championships, et cetera, as a head coach, you know, what's an area you're looking to improve on this off season for yourself? Well, we better improve in our talent because we graduate um, 60% of our 10 man rotation. <laughs> so uh, no, where am I looking to improve? Um, you know, I, I would say one of my strong suits is surrounding myself with, again, a coaching staff that's younger than I am and being open to the ideas that they bring into our program. Um, and we have, we have really evolved our offense in the last two and a half years, um, with me using some of what Courtney believes in and, and, and some of what Kyle believes in and kind of meshing those two things together. So I think what we're going to really be looking at doing is becoming maybe a little bit more multiple in our defense. Um, I mean, we played like 15 possessions a zone this year, but you can do that when you've got the defensive player of the year in America and, you know, some of the better defensive players and a coach that coaches it. I mean, we were doing Chris Beard stuff before Chris Beard. Let me, let me put, I mean, you, everybody watches, you know, Texas play right now. They're like, Oh, we're going to do that. You know, we're going to force the baseline. I'm like, we've been doing that for 26 years. And that did not start with Chris Beard. That did not start with Chris Beard. That started with a guy named Don Meyer and the benign passes forced in the baseline, fronting the post. And then we've just kind of evolved it. And Chris Beard's a really good coach. Like, that's what makes him special. But, like, we've been doing this for a long time. So we're going to become a little bit more multiple, I think, in our defense. Um, and then just find different ways to plug new kids in, right? We've done it this way with the last three years with basically the same kids. And we're always trying to evolve our offense and defenses to fit our personnel. So before we get into our last two seconds, I kind of wanted to follow up on that. You mentioned, you know, using your coach's expertise in this and pulling from that what does that process look like for you as a coaching staff in kind of making those decisions right and put them in, throwing put them in charge and practice okay right like biggest out of bounds play of the year biggest baseline out of bounds play of the year to like basically put us in a position to win like I didn't coach that time out Courtney did I hand her the clipboard like she does our special teams baseline sidelines um and you better have a you better not have any ego if you're going to do that, right? If I, if, if I have to be the one on camera that steps in to draw up the play, then, you know, I basically undermine her ability to be as good as she can be, right? Um, same thing with defense. You know, there have been multiple timeouts this year where Cully stands up, he walks in the timeouts, he goes, I got this one. And I, and I run most of the timeouts, right? But like, like, he'll be like, I need, I got this one. I need time. And he'll just step right in and he'll be like, this is the tweak that we're making. This is how they're exploiting us. This is the adjustment that we're going to make. Anybody have any questions? Boom. So I think that because I let Cully coach the defensive segment of our practice each day, our man-to-man, -man, 
Like that puts him in an empowered position in our basketball program. You know, Kyle handles some of what we call our spread offense um, where we run some different things, you know, and, and Kyle is running a lot of that. And I'm talking to him all day long, right? We're getting ideas. We're bouncing ideas off each other. But then like when a time comes, like I'll coach a segment of it, like part of it, I'll, I'll infuse my ideas in there, but then I'll sit back and I'll also let Kyle run a big part of that offensive segment. Cully will run a big part of our defensive segment. And I just think it's a great way to coach because it's not all my ideas. And honestly, it keeps me fresh. I mean, if you have to coach a full two hours and 15 minutes of practice every day, and, and you can't delegate to your assistant coaches, like you're going to walk out of that practice not being able to walk, I think. And mm-hmm. I have, I've been able to hire great coaches and empower them to do great things. Sorry, choking, choking over here. So we're going to get into our last two segments. The first is our 30-second timeout. Uh, you can change the subject. It doesn't have to be about basketball. It can be about basketball. It's anything you want to talk about. It can be about you, your family, your program, something you want our listeners to know about. Basically, this is is your 30-second timeout. And as we like to say, there's no referee jumping in to, yeah. to end it. And, and this is sometimes where our guests like to put Todd and I on the spot. So we also never know what's going to happen. So the floor is Yeah, here. yeah. Well, um, you know, the best coaching move that I ever made in, in all my years was um, that I married a woman that has, that has supported me throughout the whole thing, and I've been able to support her, right? She's a principal, um, a, a middle school principal. Um, I'm her biggest fan. She's my biggest fan. Um, and, you know, I won the national championship, and the next morning, and she goes, you're it. And I knew exactly what she was talking about. So like basically when COVID hit and she's a principal, right? Um, like I took over all the cooking duties. I'm not coaching much, right? So I'm cooking and, you know, and then all of a sudden my season hits in, in October and she takes over and now, you know, I'm out of my season, still recruiting and everything. But like, I, I mean, as soon as I get off this podcast, like I got to go figure out what I'm making for dinner. Um, and so like, I knew what she was talking about, but like the best thing I've ever done is like surround myself with a partner who is going to support me wholly in what I'm doing. Because like, if your partner isn't 100% behind you, like one of two things is going to happen. You're not going to be very good or you're going to get divorced. And, um, and if you look at the coaching statistics, like they aren't very friendly to college basketball coaches. Um, and I've been really fortunate to have a great wife, um, and great family. I mean, I have two daughters, um, who are like all in on, on the basketball piece and it's made all the difference in the world for me. I know exactly, uh, the year it, I got done with our season, got home the next day. My wife said, so what kid you picking up and picking up both you you're doing this, you're doing that. So I know exactly, exactly how it goes. So we'll get into our last segment, quick hitters. Uh, kind of just random, random questions. We throw them at you. Uh, answer any way you want. Can go in a different direction. Um, let's go with the first one. Your favorite coach or favorite coach in another sport? We got to think. Um, 
Hey, we finally came I'll up with go, a good question. Um, I'll go with my guy. Um, I'll go, go with, I'll go with, uh, it's a podcast or not a podcast, but, uh, you know, it's, it's our, it's our favorite football coach who became a soccer coach. Right. Um, there you go. Yeah. Uh, because if you're not, if you're a coach that watches that and thinks it's hokey, then you really don't understand coaching. (laughs) And, um, and like the stuff that he said, I mean, Ted Lasso is just a gem because he says what we all should be thinking. Like, dude, you know, like you got to have a, you got to be like a goldfish. You need a 10 second memory, not like a 10 day memory. I tell my players that all the time. They're like, well, remember when you said this in practice? I go, no, I don't remember that. (laughs) Right. I don't. If it hurt your feelings, I'm sorry. But like, I also think like, his next show, he should come with, you know, you need, you need to be more like a Teflon player instead of a Velcro player. Like quit having all the bad stuff stick to you and all the, my compliments, they bounce off you and you don't even remember I said them. Right. Yeah. But like, if I say one mean thing to you, like you remember that for three years. So like, that's going to be my suggestion for Ted Lasso for his next one. Like he can incorporate that in there. But uh, you know, I also just think like, before you can get them to do what you want them to do, you got to win their hearts. And I think I said that very early in this podcast, right? Like I knew that I had to get their respect by them knowing that I respected them and that I cared for them on all levels, right? Like I, you, you can't coach them if, the, if you don't know what's going on behind the scenes for them. You don't know if they've got a big exam. You don't know if they're going through a bad part in their relationship. You don't know if, you know, their parents are going through something. Like if you don't know that stuff about your players, then it's really difficult to coach them that day in practice. So, you know, I just think he has such great examples of um, what it is to be great. I love soccer. Um, my daughter played high school soccer. So I think Anson Doran's got a lot of answers, at, um, you know, on how to be a great coach as well. Um, you know, if I had to go like, um, uh, like NBA, I'd probably go like Quinn Snyder. I think he's a, he's a, he's got just insane ideas and understanding Um, from a football perspective. I'll go Nick Saban just because he has broken it down into, I want that body type. If if their body can't do that, they're not for me. And I've said no to some kids, right? Because I just don't think that like from a body type, they can play for us. And I can't change my whole system just to fit like their athletic abilities. So I'm a really big believer in that. And then um, I'll, go my, I'll go my Detroit Tigers for my last one. And I know I'm just bouncing all over the place here. But A.J. Hinch, A.J. Hinch is flipping amazing because he understands the psychology, he understands the ego, and he understands the X's and O's. And that's why my Tigers are going back to the playoffs. <laughs> You're not going uh, old school Jim Leland. Oh man, I love me smoking cigarettes in the corner of the dugout. Smoking his heaters, he's be smoking (laughs) his heaters in the back tunnel. Then he'd be coming out, be like billowing smoke. Then he'd go (laughs) back and smoke some more heaters, you know. But he understood what AJ Hunt understands. If you win the locker room, those guys will play hard for you. Well, and I, and I think not to tie it to your wife, but as somebody that works in the middle school as a behavior specialist, I think that's even with teachers, even with anything, like 
you have to understand that who the kids are before you can teach them, coach them, whatever. Can I tell you that I have eggs now coming into my house every week from Ben. Ben is autistic. Ben has some severe behavior problems. But my wife got Ben to buy in to if he would behave and he would do the right thing, that she would buy eggs from him and he could sell eggs to the teachers in the school. Ben has not been a behavior problem <laughs> since Ben's hens were laying eggs and ben. he was delivering to teachers. Well, now Ben's making some bank. I like it. Ben is making bank. Ben's <laughs> hens. Um, all right. So next one, it, when I looked up hope and then I, you know, Todd and I do our homework on every guest and I did some, some work on Holland, Michigan. It's a beautiful place. So do you have like a secret place in town that you enjoy or want to give a shout out to or? I got a lot of secret places. Um, they'll probably give away some of my bad habits, but um, <laughs> there's a place in town called Big Leg Brewery. And that place has the best food nobody knows about. Okay. And they have some other stuff that's really good too. And then there's also a place underneath one of the restaurants in towns. And it's a speakeasy, which if you understand anything about like the roaring 20s yeah. and stuff like that, yep. back during prohibition, like you can go down there. It's got the coolest vibe. It only seats about 20 people. And it is fantastic for just like chilling out, relaxing with my wife. Like not many people know about it, but it's got like the coolest vibe. All right, so perfect transition there. Uh, you minored in history. What's your favorite time period in history? Um, World War II for a couple different reasons. World War II because I thought it was fascinating when I was a history minor at home. Yep. Okay, that's the first reason. World War II now because I'm not married to Liz Hayne Morehouse, if it isn't for a World War II, her dad's side is in Estonia. Her grandpa is the Minister of Agriculture of Estonia. The, this all is relevant with Ukraine right now. Yeah. Russia's coming into Estonia to take over the port cities. Her grandpa is trying to get all their paperwork and get to a boat to get away he ran in the olympics as a sprinter he forgot certain paperwork had to run back oh. to get it sprinting to the boat they miss the boat it's out into the harbor the russians blow it up they get on a second boat go around and get into a concentration camp in germany spend a year there get sponsored by a church in Saginaw, Michigan, take the boat, get to America, have no idea where they're going, get to Saginaw, Michigan. Her dad is a principal. Her dad, her uncle works for GM as a VP. Her uncle invented the computer system that doesn't allow drugs to interact in pharmacies. Really? And that's my story of how World War II brought me and my wife together. 
Well, then really no one's going to have that story, Todd, no matter how many guests we have. No, I don't think, I don't think we can top that one. Um, all right. So you mentioned you like to, or that you're in charge of most of the dinner. So I added this one. What's like, what's like dad's dish? What's like your dish to cook? Ooh. Um, I've gotten pretty good at a lot of stuff, but I still think, um, I'm really good on a smoker. Um, and I'm really good on the grill. Um, I, 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 my steaks are, first of all, I believe in like, you have to buy good cuts of meat. So like, I will not buy elaborate, all this other stuff. And I will invest in like really good meat so that when we do sit down and have a steak dinner, like it is going to be like a really, really good steak dinner. Um, I, I've gotten really good at like some pasta and seafood dishes over the, over the last couple of years. Um, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in TikTok, a big believer in TikTok. Like you can follow stuff on TikTok and get recipe ideas That's and true. everything. You can find some elite level recipes and with my ADD and I have some severe ADD, TikTok is made for me. Right. And so I can watch it and I'll be like, okay, now I can go into their comments, get the, um, get the uh, recipe and I can, I can pull that baby together. One of the things that changed my life in TikTok was there's this dude that cooks, right? And I think it's dude that cooks. I think that's what he calls himself. <laughs> He's got this rosemary salt that I started to make. It will change your cooking. Rosemary salt, man. This is like rosemary salt. Todd, I we, we just went from World War II to rosemary salt. I'm just throwing on that TikTok on TikTok. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's some other really good follows on TikTok too. Well, I don't even barely know how to work the thing, but maybe I should <laughs> once you get on, I mean it's the devil, honestly. But if you if you can like control yourself with it, like I have to put timers on because you could lose a day on I, TikTok. I, I <laughs> literally put like an eight minute timer on myself. Coach, I got to tell you, my dad is a, an older man and he's retired and he's on, he, he all, that's all he does. He sends us TikToks. Like I'm like, dad, it's enough. I send some stuff to my kids, my two daughters. And now we have a, we have a TikTok for our basketball team. There are, we have some elite level TikTok going on for hope women's basketball i mean it is run by my student assistant coach and it is fan we have a question of the week every week right who's your celebrity crush um you know who's who's the goat of basketball and like now our men's team always walks by and gets on our tiktoks with the question and like they are fantastic fantastic if i was in charge of it it would be a disaster but when you put it in charge of a 21 year old it is going right. to be done and done really really well yeah they know what they're doing exactly. they know what they're doing all right so you mentioned uh you were you were on the golf team there all right so so i don't know if you're still playing consistently but uh what were you shooting or what are you shooting and maybe your favorite course um what i was shooting before children and my kids are 21 and 20 now um <laughs> So I was, uh, I was a two handicap um, when, when I was playing 
kind of coming out of high school into college. And then when I really started golfing was when I graduated from college and I was playing like, I, it was insane guys. I was like, I would leave work and I would pick up Cully, my defensive coordinator. Right. And we would go and we had this cheap membership and we would play 36 holes a day. And then on weekends we would wake up and we would be the first on the course because we didn't want anybody getting in our way. And cause we would get right. pissed if people slowed us down and like we would start at like 6.30 as like sun's coming up, we're teeing off and we're playing like 45 holes a day. We're walking back in those days because we can't afford to drive. I mean, we're poor. I mean, I am poor at that stage, right? But that's when I'm playing my best golf of my life is during that stage. And then all of a sudden we start having kids and I just, now I can't, now I got a weak ass fade that goes to the right. I don't draw the ball anymore. It just, it sucks, man. I just go out and get pissed. So I don't, I only played like twice last summer because I mean, between recruiting and everything else, it's right. just insane, but I do want to get out more. Um, my new assistant coach, Kyle Irvy, he runs a course by me. So like I can go there for next to nothing. Um, so I'm going to get out and play a little bit more this summer favorite course. And yes, I'm going to big time it right now, but this is back when I was playing a lot, a lot, a lot, right. In the span of two days, we're on the West Coast, and I played Pebble Beach, and the next day I played Spanish Bay, and my wife knows that when I die, <laughs> I only want one thing at my funeral, and that is we are coming down 18 in the dusk, and I just stripe to drive, and I, we can barely see the 18th uh, green. And I just stick one on there. And on the way up 18, right, they have a bagpiper playing Amazing Grace on my way down the 18th fairway. And when I got up there, my wife was waiting for me up there. I'm playing with my best friend, the guy, the Miracle League field guy, right? Um, who, and I looked at him and I go, dude, there's only one thing I want at my funeral. And if you're still alive, you better make sure I get it. And that is, I want amazing grace bagpipes when they're bringing, when, when they're doing whatever they do at a funeral. That's awesome. That, that, those are some great courses. Um, all right. So a couple more, the, this one is just in the off season, obviously, as we all know, during the season, it, there's, it's not a lot of time to relax, but you know, for you, you know, your favorite off season activity to just, just chill, just relax. Reconnect. I mean, this will show the kind of the imbalance of my life. Um, but uh, I, I just kind of reconnecting with my friends. I mean, basketball is like, they just know it's like basically, a, you know, a 23 week sprint. Right. And then people are like, well, there's only 52 weeks in the year. Yeah. Like basketball season is really long, but like, I'll tell you, like we won the national championship last Saturday. I'm in a hotel room with like my guys and their wives afterwards. And they're like, we're having like a dinner at Randy's on Saturday night. Uh, and you know, the next week. And they're like, we got the food, like Mo, just, just get there. And I'm like, I could not look forward to anything more than hanging out with my people. Um, and I see them during the season, you know, we go out after games a little bit, but um, I, I just love that. 
I love my deck. Like I, I have a big deck. My buddies with their wives and just like growing up sticks, smoking some meat, like just hanging out and, um, you know, talking about it. I got a 21 and a 20 year old. Um, and, you know, you just, you know, you're just talking about your kids, loving on your kids, sharing each other's biggest challenges um, and, and your biggest celebrations with your friends. Like, you know, that's what it's all about to me is just the relationship side of things is what it's all about. Having my coaches over, like just hanging out outside of basketball. Right. And just being like, man, we got, we, we, we just love each other. You know and I mean? Just like living into those relationships is what really keeps me going. All right. Last one. And we've been known to ask some goofball questions, but, and you'll probably get this reference. You just won the national championship. Are you going to Disney? <laughs> um, if we can privatize this link, um, <laughs> so I told, I, we, we played down in Orlando this year. We played in a tournament and, uh, one of my assistant coaches goes, and, um, well, if we win, we should just go try to drink around the world at Epcot Center. There you go. Yeah. Well, well you and I somehow now. told him that I would do that for them and pay for that. I, I may <laughs> renege on that offer. Do you want um, us to, we're going want us to, to edit Italy this, this question out for you? <laughs> yeah, we're, go, we we're, we're, we're going to Italy this summer with our team. Oh. So I might, I might have to uh, just say that. Instead of going to Epcot, you know, I'm going to take them to Italy and I'll take them out for a nice dinner. I, I think uh, I think you just topped it with Italy. I think they're going to yeah. live. I think that I think they would probably probably prefer Italy over that. Well, coach, we can't we can't thank you enough for, for taking the time, especially after your tremendous season. Um, there's so much awesome stuff. Uh, we, we thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, you know, we look forward to connecting with you again down the road and, and, you know, keep following, keep following your team. I mean, I know I saw you guys uh, play when you guys played Benedictine. Uh, we had the coaching Benedictine on, it's local here. So I watched you guys. Um, oh, really? I tried okay. to, I tried to tweet out. Uh, I think at one point I tweeted out something about who are, somebody sent out some of the best teams. I'm like, you get, you got to check out hope. Like they're, they're good. They're legit. And trying to, Trying to give you guys a little bit of shout out. So yeah, we, he's a good guy. Like, like good guy. Like, I'm gonna do really, really good stuff in my opinion. Yeah, he's, he um, does. He does a really good job. But yeah, we can't thank I'm you enough to watch. For, yeah, we can't thank you enough for taking your time and joining us today. Thank you so hey, much. Hey, I'd love to join you again sometime if you ever need me. Uh, you guys are great. You guys ask great questions. Your prep is elite, and uh, I'm looking forward to looking up some of your old episodes and uh, seeing if I can't learn some stuff. If you guys have had the Alaska Anchorage guy on, I should definitely tune into that one. And sounds like you've had some other really great guests over the years. So uh, this is the first I'm aware of your podcast. I'm ashamed to say that, but now I'm going to be a frequent flyer. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Flicky. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Time Out or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. 
You can find all of our previous episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts by searching after the timeout. We appreciate you listening. Tune in next time for more coaching content in-game, out of the game, and anything in between.